Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. The world is a lot right now. One thing we've been talking about at the Manuscript Academy is how in the world can you be a good literary citizen in a time when people are actively banning books and what you can do, both for you and for the writers who come after you. We're pleased to welcome Tanya Todd to the podcast. She is a Las Vegas-based writer and actress who will be teaching crafting diverse characters for inclusive literature at the Atlanta Writers' Conference in May. Tanya has short stories in Vegas Writes, Love in the Dunes, and her nonfiction is featured in NPR's Desert Companion. Welcome, Tanya. My name is Tanya Todd. I'm an author, actress, and activist. I live in Las Vegas. I'm very active with the Henderson Writers Group, and I'm just very grateful to be here. It's such a lonely business. I think the most frequent advice I give is to find others who are like-minded. The journey is going to be different for everyone. Some people are adamant about traditional publishing. Some are fine with self-publishing. There are indie presses. There are all different ways that you could go. And I'm not saying that you should shut out people who are going on a different path. You just want to make sure you have a core group of people on the same path so that when you start to falter from believing in yourself, when you start struggling with whatever it is that particular path will throw at you, you have someone to hold your hand through it, to guide you, to cheer you. And then you can be there for that person as well. You can do, you can offer the same because you are on the same type of journey. I love that. And I love that it's, it almost makes me think of the idea that what we do now is good for the writers who come after us. Um, Yes. And what we do now in terms of trying to keep people from banning books is good for the people who come after us too. Yes. (laughs) You have. That's a particular cause of mine. (laughs) Please say more. Last year, I started a program called Banned Books Conversations. And in September, there is one week dedicated to bringing a voice to projects that have been banned. And so I read seven different banned books and discussed them with seven different panels and put them out one day each that week. And it was incredible. Some of the books I had read, some were brand new to me, but I was able to be part of these conversations with people from all over the world with different perspectives. And they didn't all agree with me. They didn't all agree with each other. And it was just enlightening and powerful to be part of this because I presumed that, okay, if they're agreeing to be part of this conversation, they probably all have the same same ideas about how this should go. And no, there were conflicting ideas, but we handled it like grownups. And we discussed why we felt a certain way and why we feel like some some books should be treated this way and some books should be treated this way. My point of view is I am anti-censorship in any form because I think that it kind of kills your creative process. If you were thinking about that when you're creating, then you're probably not, you're not being honest with yourself or your character or your storyline. And if there's an environment that is telling you, well, if you write this, people are going to attack you, then you're not going to open yourself up to what your real art is. And that's not just for writing, that is for painting, that's for music, whatever your artistic 
venue is, if you are thinking about how people are going to respond, you're probably not sharing your truth. However, I do understand that there are people who get offended by things that are out there and you have to have a plan for that. You have to be prepared for that. It almost seems like the people who ban books are wanting to forget that these ideas ever existed. And so you having people talk about it so that they can come together, share ideas, examine aspects of it that they hadn't considered before, go home, talk to their friends, tell them things that they heard in these conversations. It almost feels like that is, in a way, the antidote to the idea of let's edit these ideas out of our culture as if they never existed. I think it is because the whole point is if there's something problematic in this literature, let's talk about why. Why is that your reaction to it? What does it make you feel? Why do you not like it? Why do you want to hide it? Let's get to the source of that information because it's not the book that's the problem. There's something deeper. Sometimes it's because we want to hide from things that happened in real life. We don't want to deal with history. We don't want to deal with things that were unpleasant. Sometimes it's about sex. Sometimes it's because you are not open to different types of people. What were you about to say, Julie? Well, I was just wondering if you have, uh, after having that week, did you have a book that you found was most impactful for the room or for the panel? Stamped. Stamped anti-racism in you. It's racism. It's stamped racism, anti-racism in you. And in that conversation, we had a white American woman who was the one who introduced the book to me. We had a black American woman. We had me and we had a white British man. All And I'm biracial, I should say, for your audio listeners. And I'm American. So just having us come together. And this is very much a book about American racism. There are things mentioned about other countries that all play a part in the history of the U.S., but it was just such a phenomenal conversation of different minds and different perspectives and the different histories that we've all led going into it. And what we were taught as children versus what we know now it was eye-opening. And to me, it was just, it's the one that has the most views consistently. I, it might be because it was the first one, but I'm sure part of it is that it was shared more frequently because it was just so impactful. Julie, can we give out some copies of that? I just looked it up. You and know it's what? Online. I was just about to say that. I wrote it down. <laughs> I saw you look up and I'm like, I bet Julie's thinking the same thing. <laughs> Usually the way we give out books is we ask um, our guests to give a code word. So if you can think of a word that people can email us and then the first three will get a copy of Stamped. How about love? Okay. So yes, if you're out there listening and you'd like a copy, send an email to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with love in the subject line. Okay. What else can you say about um, good literary citizenship and other things people can do? If you're not in a position yet where you can volunteer, maybe that's just too scary for you. You're not ready. If there is someone you want to support, likes, shares, commenting, those are all free. There is a woman that I've met maybe a handful of times and she reshares everything that I post. I'm not going to forget her for that. She doesn't have to do that. She doesn't have to support me like that. And to me, it's just incredible that there are people who are that supportive when you're not even really involved with their life on a day-to-day -day basis. And because of that, more eyes get on my work and the things that I'm doing. That is her being a good literary citizen. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that she's doing this for. She's just one of those 
people who's very supportive. So if you want something that's free and easy and relatively quick, just respond to what people are posting online. Read their books. I'm sure you've heard this many times, but review their books. Because it matters. It helps with visibility. It helps them to get their message across to other people. The more likes and shares and comments happen on a post, and I'm pretty sure this is across any of the platforms, the more visibility it gets. Mm -hmm. Because people in your network will see it, and then they'll share it with people in their network, and it just grows from there. I think we also underestimate the power of making writers feel supported. You know, say, for example, there's a writer out there, and they feel like they're just tweeting into the void, and they have no idea what's happening, and they're writing, and they're struggling, and they're getting rejected. What if they kept going because of the encouragement they got from other writers? Right. So they know they are not alone. So for those out there listening, how... Can you personally play a small part in other writers feeling good enough to not give up? I think there are a lot of writers out there who feel almost as if they are walking into a cafeteria with their tray. They don't know where to sit down. Everyone looks like a popular kid. You know, what do you even do about that? And so if you are the person who says, hey, come sit at my table, that gesture can mean everything. Yes. Make people feel welcome because we're all so scared and lonely in this business. This is literally the most important thing we can do in our world is disrupt our world in positive ways. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's so interesting how you said that you were too shy to be up there with the mic and now you're doing all these incredibly brave things. How, how did you grow that way? And is there anything you can share with the people out there who want to grow in that way too? I will admit that that has more to do with my acting career than it had to do with my writing career. The first time I read from my work, I was so terrified that I wasn't sure how am I going to do this? Because I used to read with the paper in front of my face and my hands would tremble. So then I would make mistakes because I can't see the words because I'm I'm trembling. And so this character that I wrote about is fierce. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to dress up like her and I'm going to be her. I'm just going to be her for this reading. And then any problems are on her, not on me. And guess what? She killed it. My gosh, I love that. So right now, everybody start thinking of their writing persona. <laughs> that is confident, that has good kick-ass boots on or whatever, right. you know, and, and get on that stage and just do it. And, you know, trust that even if you blow it, what's going to happen? Right. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's not going to ruin your career. <laughs> this is going to, this is making me want to have another reading series. Can we say that we'll have another one in the com- coming weeks? Yeah, I would love to do that. And members, if you're out there hoping to try some of these skills out, you can, in fact, dress up as your character and come to our member reading in the coming weeks. I love that. Not, <laughs> yeah, not your character, your 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 confident alter ego that comes out. <laughs> you don't have to dress up as your character. You dress up as the confident you that's like you, but not you. But maybe that is a character. Maybe it is. <laughs> you have options. <laughs> yeah, we just love a theme. So <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever you want. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the writers out there or share with them or teach them about or just anything else? From like one that? piece of advice, maybe. <laughs> I will say that One of the most important things is to study your craft, whether that's attending workshops, online or in person, reading craft books, attending critique groups. It is important that you go over that work and learn how to do better. And your first draft is not the draft that you show anybody. As Angela Anderson likes to say, that is between you and God. (laughs) That draft is between you and God and nobody else needs to see it. 
But the way to improve it is by learning your craft, reading other works that are in similar genres to you, just applying all of that and your experience to your revisions. I'm doing a two-hour workshop on how to write with diversity and inclusion in mind so that you can fill out your character's worlds in a way that is authentic to the world that we really live in without being offensive, without resorting to stereotypes, but being mindful of the, the characters and the characterization that you put into the world. Can you tell us just a little bit from your class about how to read so people want to read more and um, your other class about inclusion as well? Yes, so in terms of the diversity and inclusion class, that's one of those things that I didn't set out as one of my missions. I came up against a lot of speed bumps when I first started querying. People were forcing me to self-identify as a woman of color. They were saying that my character, I would, this sounds awful, but I had white agents telling me that my black characters didn't sound authentic. And it was, I'm sorry. I know lots of Black people who sound like that. How are you telling me what is authentic? And so that was very hurtful. And for a while, it made it, it difficult for me to try to put myself out there and to try to query because I thought I have to prove I'm Black to white people. <laughs> that just sounds, it sounded awful, but it, it felt awful too. And, you know, combine that with me ending up being the education chair for Henderson Writers Group. I was one of the few members of color in the group. And so people were asking me for tips on how, you know, be the spokesperson for that. But as education chair, I feel that's kind of my job anyway, whether I would, I happen to be a woman of color or not. So I thought it was my duty to find a way to make this happen. And so I partnered with Henderson Writers Group and Grouchy John's Coffee and the LGBTQ Center. And we put together a five-hour workshop and panel with different authors. I think we had about 55 people there that was for free to the, it was free to the community because of this partnership with everyone so that we could get over some of those humps because some people are afraid to even attempt it because they don't want to be offensive. Well, if you're going to write about a character who is different from you, you need to learn about that character. If you're going to write about a plumber, you might want to learn what the day-to-day -day life of a plumber is. You can't just, well, I've seen a plumber. We, un we understand what a plumber is and kind of what they do, but you need to learn more about a plumber's world before you can write them authentically. It's really the same thing, whether you're writing about someone who is, you know, if you're a cisgender person trying to write about a trans person, if you are a Black person trying to write about someone who is of the Asian di diaspora, if you are a man trying to write about being a woman, you need to learn more about these people before you can try to represent them. I am all for own voices. That is, that is a totally different fight. That is more of a publishing fight. But I believe that we should all be writing about all of these types of people in our work because that's the world in which we live. And I want, I want fair representation. And the only way to do that is if we're all writing it. If we are only allowing people in those communities to write about those communities, then we are otherizing them there too. We're saying all of your literature is going to be about your identity. And that is not fair. That is not what other people have had to do historically. We should all be writing about everybody because we're all here. Unless you're writing about some crazy dystopian place where everyone is exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it's creepy. And then about reading like a pro, what I've done is because I did start out as that just timid person scared to read my work, 
And now I am able to invoke Cleopatra when I'm reading my work. I have some tips to help you find your inner queen and, and deliver your work in a way that not only shows that you are confident about what you wrote, but also leaves your reading your your readers wanting more so that they buy your work and support you in that way. Because that's the main reason that we hold these readings is so people will buy the book. That's so interesting. It's almost like you're teaching them to embody an energy. Yes. And sometimes that's their character. And if you can hide behind your character and bring that character to life in that way, think about how much more enjoyable this experience is going to be for the audience. Now, sometimes you don't want to embody that character. One of the things that I had published in the last year or so was a short story that is based off the character in my first manuscript. I usually wear whatever my character is wearing, but in this scene, she's getting dressed. So she's not really wearing a whole lot. Now, I'm not going to show up like that. I'm not going to show up in a bathrobe, but <laughs> you can allude to certain things. Maybe you're writing about a cop. You don't need to show up in a cop's uniform, but you could wear a blue button down shirt and just give the illusion of that type of character. So tips like that, things that offer a fuller experience for the audience, and then also help you as, as the reader of your own work to feel confident about what you're saying, how to prepare yourself, how to prepare your pages. What are some tips that help you know that you are going to nail this? Because sometimes people show up and they don't even know what they're going to read and they have not practiced and you feel for them because everyone in the room is feeling this tense and awkward energy of you not being prepared. So my goal is to help people not have that experience. Let them nail their reading. Well, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of you're telling your friend about something that happened. And as you pause to imagine it in your mind, and you're not even saying any details about what it looked like, what it felt like, somehow, sometimes they can almost get imagery just because you're thinking about it as you're speaking. And I wonder, if you know maybe sort of what you're talking about also is like if people are experiencing the full world of the scene they are reading maybe the listeners get a more vivid experience too I definitely see that I have a very strong spiritual co connection with my close friends and family and yes we can finish finish each other's images so it's not even a sentence thing it's just sometimes a look up oh, I'm all the way there in the room with the seatbelt on, like the whole thing, not a word was spoken. So yes, if you can do that with a room full of people trying to learn more about your work and they're there and they're feeling the heat of the sun, you know, the sand on their toes, all of that, if you are giving them that kind of experience, they are going to remember you. They are going to share your work with other people and they are going to support you as lifelong fans because of the experience that you gave them. And if some of those people happen to be writers, you're probably going to inspire them to be better writers and to, to share their work in the same kind of way. Yeah. Wow. I wish there was a way to teach everybody how to do that. Um, <laughs> and, and quickly in a line or two, but I know it's, it's more complicated <laughs> as it should be. Um, yeah. It just made me think before of, of how we were talking about giving characters things to do. It's putting people in that physical world helps them experience your story more fully. Yes. And we all start in a different place. You know, you can't expect everyone to learn at the same pace. Some people are excellent with dialogue. Others are excellent with world building to start and they need to work on the other aspects. We just need to reach people where they are and give them a good example that they can follow. Can you talk about how acting and tips for acting and how that can help within building character within scene? 
Yes. So they inform each other. They're acting in the writing more than I realized. And one day it just came to me that I am able to put together backstories better than some of the other writers that I know, because it's something that I have to do when I'm creating a character that I'm playing. So just a few things that have helped are creating that backstory, the gestures behind certain characters, how those gestures inform who that person is and how those gestures need to vary from character character to character, that kind of thing. Using a playlist, that's something I do when I'm playing a character and that has helped with creating characters that I write. It also helps with creating or cutting excessive dialogue because there's nothing worse than getting tongue tangled when you are trying to read somebody else's words. And it's like, there's the editor brain starts kicking in and you're like, you don't need this word. You don't need this. This is three left turns to get to this point in the sentence. So that helps me when I'm writing both screenplays and prose that I'm not going to do that to my characters. I'm not going to do that to my actors. Well, I think there's something else too that's so interesting. I know this is kind of a follow-up, but when you're acting, you always know where you are in time and space. Like you know where you are on the set, you know where you are in the frame. But I think writers don't think about the frame as often. You know, we'll be like, where are we? (laughs) You know, like where are all the people in this room? Can you give tips for writers about how to keep characters within frame structurally? That is something I feel I've done in editing sessions or critique sessions with some of my partners. I will say, take a step back and look at what is happening through the camera. What is your character seeing? Because you you don't have a full enough set, perhaps. What are they hearing in this room? How does it smell? What are the colors that are present in this scene and how does it make them feel? So maybe that that last part is not really something that would be from a camera lens. But once you get all of that, then you go a little bit deeper and then you go into how your character feels about that smell. Because some people love the smell of rosemary and some do not. Yeah, I love you talking about this. I was speaking with a literary fiction author yesterday and so much of the book is the character in an armchair thinking. And it's very interesting thinking, but even if he got up and walked outside and looked at stuff or did dishes, visually, that's so much more interesting. And I think it's it's funny that a lot of people, especially with really literary or upmarket works, forget to give the character something to do. And Agreed. Like, yeah, if you're on stage, you're always doing something. It's very rare somebody is just standing there talking. So how do you know what's just enough within scene? I would say when you are presenting it to your critique group, how are people responding? Sometimes you can come up with this great idea, but then when you present it, no one responds. Other times you don't mean to do something and you get this great response to it. And you're like, oh, well, I am definitely keeping that. (laughs) I have another critique partner who says when someone notices something really exciting in her work, what she'll say is, thank you for noticing that. Whether she intended it or not, (laughs) thank you for noticing that. Don't ever (laughs) give away that you didn't mean to do it. I love that. And it's it's interesting because people forget that describing a house or an apartment is world building too. It is. There's not world building and contemporary work. It's not just about sci-fi or historical fiction. You have to create the world where your character lives. And I kind of understand that the writing personality sometimes goes along with people who live in their head. So they themselves perhaps are sitting in an armchair thinking all day. No judgment. Right. That too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's a really interesting exercise to make it so that even if they personally aren't always out and about doing things, visually doing things, doing things that if we were floating above them or watching them on stage would be interesting, they need to learn how to exist in that physical space so that their characters can. Right. And 
sometimes their environment can trigger those thoughts. They could move through that thought process because of where their character is moving. And that makes the reader feel like they are engaged and they are moving along with the character. Because if you just sit for too long and it's just thoughts, your mind wanders. You have to engage your your audience. And that's true for the stage, (laughs) the screen, or on the page. Yeah, on TikTok too. I was just watching a TikTok about how it's easier to follow creators who are doing something as they speak. And they think that's why so many people are successful with, um, you know, putting on their makeup while they talk or building something while they talk. And it was something about how a lot of people have uh, diffuse attention. You know, we don't want to just have one part of our brain engaged. And I wonder if that's something that it's just, you know, okay, brain, this person is chopping wood for the fire and talking about this. And somehow that keeps us engaged on multiple levels, too. But I completely agree. My acting coach, Paul Campanella, he suggested just that exact type of tip when auditioning. Have your character doing something while they're having this conversation. Don't don't just stand there at the camera and say your lines. Have have her doing her hair while she is delivering these lines. Have her putting on makeup. Do something like a real person would do and then she'll feel real. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. That's when you see a scene that's not working. Sometimes it is just like giving them something to do and it like pulls them through how to differentiate mannerisms on the page via different characters. You could have, you think about what, what does this character do when they're frustrated? What does this character do when they're angry? How do these things manifest? And that can be their thing throughout the story. You don't want other characters to have that same tick because this communicates who they are unless they're family. And then maybe you can show that could be a way that you find out Mm. that someone is related to someone else, because that's weird. They have this same tick that this character has, but you didn't know that they knew each other. And then it turns out, oh, they were brothers, you know? They were long lost, long lost, you know, fraternal twins. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you could subconsciously tip off your reader that way. That's really interesting. Your reader might be like, wait, that feels like this other person. I don't know why. And I think writers do that when they when they make you feel so smart because you start noticing these little things and you're not sure why. Oh, and you can do it with speech patterns too. Yeah. Well, I want to give everyone out there homework, if I may. Start noticing all of the characters in shows you watch on tick on tiktok i guess they're real people not characters people on the page what are they doing while they are talking with you so often we talk to people that are just you know like writing 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 and that's great but you are all over the place when it comes to different avenues that you go through but they all interweave and breed together and so much of what we talked about today is, in a sense, world building. It's giving them something to do so we can see their world. It's um, wearing things that suggest an outfit, which is the world. And also, how do we want to build our social world with writers and support them? And how do we want to make sure ideas persist in our world and build the <laughs> next world? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's interesting how it all, in a sense, is related that way. Yeah, I agree. So Tanya, where can we find you online? I am across social media at Ms. Tanya Todd. That's M-S-T-O-N-Y-A-T-O-D-D. My website is MsTanyaTodd.com. You can find me on IMDb. And I'm also a, one of the co-hosts of the Femme On podcast, which is a collection of five different women. We talk about movies and books and TV. I happen to tackle activism and fitness, but I, I'm on all different types of the shows that we have. And it's all from a feminine point of view. And I am just so blessed to be part of these conversations because it was one of those things that I am too 
too busy to be a part of this group when I was asked. It was there's there's just no way, but there's also no way I am turning this down because this group is just too amazing and I am going to be a part of it. And we've had so many exciting things happen in just the first month. We we ended up interviewing an Oscar nominee before she was nominated. So we had the interview and then she was nominated. And it's like, wow, we can do things like this. And so it's just the ideas are expanding. We had someone from the Ukraine reach out to us. It's if we've done this in just a few weeks, what are we going to do in the next year? Well, I was feeling the same with having you on, honestly. <laughs> I could feel my brain expanding and I could, you know, like the light bright. Oh, thank you, know, you for that. And, and it's like such a, a great way to spend, you know, an hour this afternoon. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you awesome. so much. I really thank appreciate you. you making time. Thank you for doing these. And yeah. I can't wait to hear even more of your interviews. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>